Hey, it's Pastor Mike. I want you to stay all the way to the end of this episode to hear more about a great podcast from Time of Grace. And now on to today's episode. This week, I want to begin by talking about everyone's favorite Hungarian psychoanalyst, <laughs> Rene Spitz. I don't know if he's your favorite Hungarian psychoanalyst, but Rene Spitz is a very famous psychoanalyst who died in 1974. But I want to tell you about his most famous study. In his most famous study, he studied the lives of 97 children ages birth through three years old. 97 children who grew up in a South American orphanage because he wanted to, uh, he wanted to see if he could learn anything from the care, the type of care that they received. The reason he picked that particular orphanage was because it was an orphanage that was understaffed. There were enough nurses to change their diapers and give them food, but they were insufficiently staffed to such an extent that there wasn't ever any time for the nurses to hug the children or to rock them or to spend any time talking with them. It was just task after task after task, diaper after diaper after diaper, and you know, just food after food after food, but, um, but, uh, but never any, any time to just spend time with them. And it was, it was interesting what he discovered as he observed the lives of these, of these children. After one year, um, a number of the children, they, uh, even though they were getting enough food and even though their diapers were changed and everything sufficiently, a number of them were, were losing, they were unhealthy. They were losing unhealthy, unhealthy weight. Um, after two years, uh, a number of them were so unstable, and it was obvious that they were so unstable emotionally that when a nurse would pick them up, they would start screaming violently as if something so unusual were happening. Um, as he observed them through, um, you know, through three years old, um, a number of the children, almost 30 of the children died before the age, before the age of three. And as he observed them over the course of their life, only, uh, only a handful of them got into adulthood, and the majority of those who got into adulthood um, ended up suffering severe psychological trauma that they carried with them for the rest of their lives. And from that study, well, he concluded really something that the Bible has been saying from the very beginning, that we were created to be loved. That we were cre God created us to be loved. And this week, we're going to spend some time talking about what that means and what that looks like when we extend that love to others. But this week, as we begin a week in which we focus on God's love, I want to remind you of two important aspects of God's love for you. And the first one is this, that God loves you. God loves you uniquely, uniquely. In Psalm 139, addressing God, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Or another way to summarize what that passage says is, you wouldn't be here if God did not want you to be here. And you would not be who you are if God did not want you to be exactly who you are. There has never been another you in the history of this whole world. God loves you uniquely. He considers the work of putting your life together, of putting your body together, wonderful. You are a wonderful work of God. And the second aspect of God's love that I want us to collectively celebrate this week is this. It's that God loves you closely. He loves you closely. You think about the, uh, the care of a mother holding her child and how safe that child will feel in mother's arms. And then listen to this verse where it's talking about Jesus as our good shepherd. It says he carries the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. That's where you always are in God's care. 
you are always close to his heart. Close enough to his heart that he will always, that he will always keep you there. Always. No matter what it would cost him. This week we rejoice in that love and we talk about how to express that same type of love towards the people around us. Today I'd like to tell you about a mother named Munira and her son Omar. Back in 1991, when Munira was 32 years old and Omar was just four, Munira was driving a car and Omar was in the car and they were in a terrible car accident. Omar ended up being okay, no injuries, but mom wasn't. She was, um, she was hurt so severely that the doctors told her family she is never going to open her eyes and she's never going to speak ever again. Again, that happened in 1991. Over the next 28 years, uh, Munira was transferred from hospital to hospital, from care facility to care facility, sometimes going between different cities, sometimes even going between different countries. And that continued to happen 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, for 28 years, until one day, Munira was sitting in a hospital bed in Germany when she opened her eyes. And she turned toward the person who was sitting next to her and said, Omar, Omar, her son, was sitting right next to her. And for the first time in 28 years, he heard the sound of his mom saying his name after 28 years. When I think about what Omar did over those 28 years, traveling along with mom from place to place and city to city and country to country and hospital to hospital, not, never, not ever really knowing for sure if mom was going to say anything or give any in, kind of indication that she was still understanding who he was or, or, or what he was doing. It makes me think of one particular aspect of love that the Bible highlights in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it says that love perseveres. Love keeps going. It keeps going. Even when it looks like there is no hope, it keeps hoping and it keeps going. And because Omar did and did, and did, and did. Well, he got to celebrate a pretty special day with, uh, with his mother very recently. It's, uh, and of course, that's just one aspect of love that we find in the Bible. That, uh, that verse of love perseveres come from, comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter in the Bible because it gives us a good definition of what love is. And I'd like to read those verses for you very quickly here, where it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now I don't know if Omar always felt like persevering, but I do know that sometimes we don't always feel like being patient. I know we don't always feel like being kind, especially if somebody hasn't been kind to us. I know we don't always feel like holding or keeping no record of wrongs, especially when somebody has wronged us and the record of them doing so seems to be <laughs> accumulating. I, I, don't know, I know that we don't always feel like trusting someone, like giving someone our trust. But for those times that we don't feel like doing those things that the Bible describes as love, there's an important word that we should note is missing from that section in 1 Corinthians 13, and that is the word feel. 
doesn't say that love feels patient, love feels kind, love feels like keeping no record of wrongs, it just says love is patient, love is kind. Whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you feel like it. And we see that put into practice in Omar, we see that put into practice in many other places, we see it put into practice in so many places, but most clearly at the cross, when I don't know that Jesus felt like being patient, like Jesus felt like being kind, it didn't feel good to be on the cross. It didn't feel good to be hated by the people who stabbed him to it. It didn't feel good to carry the weight of, just think of the weight of one sin on your own heart. When you feel, when you know you've messed up and you hurt someone and how heavy that heart makes you feel and then multiply that by the sins of every person in the whole history of the world and that weight didn't feel good on Jesus' heart, the weight that he willingly carried to forgive us of all of them. And that came at a cost. It came at a cost that we see on a dark day on a high hill where it didn't look like anything good could happen. But from that dark day, love prevailed. It gave us an empty tomb on Easter morning and the assurance that we are God's children and we are going to, nothing's going to stop us from getting into heaven with him. And that, uh, that leads us to those last three words that I read from 1 Corinthians 13, the words, love never fails. We look at the cross of Jesus and we look at his empty tomb and we see that love did not fail. And that's the promise that God gives you. That when you put love into practice, whether or not you feel like it, when you are patient, when you decide to be kind, when you decide to keep no record of wrongs, when you decide to persevere and to trust and to hope, God's promise to you is that he will not fail you. He will not let you down. He will not let you regret it. Today, I would like to tell you about two high school students, Parker and Addie, who are planning to go to the prom together. And as you may know, the prom can be kind of a big deal and yeah, the young ladies often spend a lot of time looking for just the perfect prom dress and Addie found the perfect prom dress, but there was a problem. It's way too expensive. It was way more money than she could ever hope to uh, be able to afford for, you know, for a prom dress like that. She, uh, she, she showed, it, uh, showed it to Parker and said, you know what, that's the one I would love to have, but there's no way, there's no way I can get it. It's way too expensive. And so she kept looking. Um, she did not buy that prom dress, and yet, that prom dress is exactly the one she ended up wearing to prom. And do you know why? Because Parker, her boyfriend, decided to do something very nice. He did not buy the prom dress for her. Instead, he made it. He made it. After Parker, um, after he saw the dress that she wanted and saw the disappointment in her eyes about not being able to afford it, he decided to teach himself how to sew. And with the many months that they had before prom, he taught himself how to sew, he got the material, and with little help from her grandmother, um, he was able to sew the prom dress that she had seen that day. And so she was able to wear exactly the dress that she wanted. It was, a, it was a glorious, a glorious gift. It was a glorious night. She looked glorious. He looked glorious. Um, and it wasn't just, uh, they didn't just look glorious. I mean, because of what they were wearing. You know, what he did was glorious. It was a glorious act of love. And it's the type of act of love that Jesus commands us to put into practice. As he's talking to his disciples on one night, he said this. He said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another. And notice that Jesus 
Notice the importance of love that Jesus puts on that, that love isn't just a nice suggestion that he gives his disciples. It is the identifying act of every person who calls themselves a Christian. By this, by this one thing, everyone will know that you are my disciples, he says, if you love one another, but there's a qualification. It has to be love like his. And what does that look like? Well, in many ways, it looks like what Parker did for Addie. He sacrificed a lot. He gave. He was thoughtful. He was kind. And those are the types of things that we see Jesus do so often in his ministry. So often he took time to heal the sick and he took time to, uh, he spent time with the outcast and the overlooked and people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. He fed people who were hungry. He, um, he provided beverages to those who were thirsty. He, um, with his love, he helped. He helped people. And you know what else it looks like? That kind of love looks like a mom who gets up in the middle of the night when a child has been up already five times and she's exhausted, but the child just wants to be held by somebody who loves them, and she gets up. It looks like somebody being patient with a spouse who hasn't been so kind to them. It's, um, it looks like somebody taking the time, dropping whatever it is that they were doing, whatever other important thing they were going to do just so they could put their arm around somebody who needs some time and attention. It looks like somebody who is in the bathroom when the toilet paper roll runs out and they take the time to replace it and put the new one on. That is, an, that is an act of love. And today I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to put that type of love into practice, to be thoughtful, to be kind. One thing that Jesus said to his disciples, another thing he said was that you will always have the poor among you. There will always be needy. There will always be those who need a little bit more time, a little bit more attention, a little bit more love. And because the love of Jesus helps, I'd like to encourage you to find an opportunity to do that today. Yesterday we talked about how the love of Jesus, it helps. Jesus helped people who were blind, helped people who were sick, helped people who were hungry. But one interesting aspect of Jesus' life is that he didn't help everyone in those ways. There were sick people who came to him that he did not heal. He didn't heal all the blind people in the world at the time. There were people who were begging for him to come to their town, and instead of coming to their town to help them, he turned around and he walked away in the other direction. Jesus didn't help everyone with their physical needs, but there is one way that Jesus provided help to everything. There's one thing that Jesus did for every single person on earth. He forgave their sins. He paid the bill for them to get into heaven so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will end up with eternal life with him. That is the one way that he helped everyone. And if that is the primary way that Jesus loved everyone, keeping their focus on heaven, making sure there is nothing at all getting in the way of getting to the feast that, uh, that God has prepared for them, then it's important also for us to consider what it looks like when we have that same priority, when our same priority is giving everyone that same gift. And it's important to know what it looks like when we give that gift and how to give that gift, when we're talking with our friends and our family and our neighbor, and even people that we don't see eye to eye with all the time. There's a, um, there's a cartoon that's been, on, uh, that's been on TV since 1996 called Arthur. Arthur has been on uh, PBS, uh, public, public Broadcasting, um, since, since 1996. It was a favorite favorite of my kids and you know when they, were, when they were that age and they were watching those things. But this last year, for the first time, the cartoon Arthur celebrated gay marriage. And so one of Arthur's male teachers got married to another man. So they're celebrating gay marriage. So I want you, I want you to imagine that you're in, a, you're in a place where there are a lot of people that you don't 
normally interact with, like you're at a you're at a sporting event or a concert or you're out shopping or you know or something like that, and you happen to strike up a conversation with somebody, and the topic of this Arthur episode comes up in which there there's gay marriage, and the person looks at you and says, "Man, isn't that great? You know, it's great that we're finally being so progressive in our world and so progressive in what we're teaching our children." And you know, my kid's teacher even showed that episode in school, and it was really great. My son came home talking about it, and just really, really awesome that we're doing this type of thing. And then the, imagine the person turns to you and says, "And what do you think of gay marriage?" What would you say? Let's imagine that you respond by telling them that gay marriage is wrong, as the Bible says it is, and it says it is just as wrong as lying, cheating, stealing, greed, arrogance, or physical intimacy between a man and a woman who are not married, all in, all in the same category. And let's imagine that after a little bit of back and forth, you are able to successfully convince that person that, that gay marriage is wrong and it shouldn't happen. You have changed their mind. Let's also imagine that at no point in that conversation does the name Jesus ever come up. And you never talk about Jesus who forgives our sins or gives us, uh, gives, us, um, gives us a place in heaven. And let's imagine that how that conversation ends and what that, person, what that person believes at that point, that they have believed that homosexuality is wrong, but they do not believe that Jesus is their savior from sin. Let's imagine that that's what that person believes when that person dies. Will that person end up in hell or heaven? that person will end up in hell. Even though they believe correctly that homosexuality is wrong because they do not believe that Jesus is the savior of the world or their savior, they will not end up in heaven. And so even though you would have successfully changed their mind about something that is important, you wouldn't have actually loved them because your primary goal was not to love them forever. Forever. Now, that's not to say that the question of whether or not homosexuality is a sin isn't, I mean, it, it is an important one. I'm just suggesting that maybe next time somebody asks you what you think about homosexuality or what you think about abortion or what you think about any number of hot-button topics in the world today, instead of first quickly answering the question, maybe ask them a different one. Instead, ask them, who do you think Jesus is? Ask them who they believe Jesus is. Because if a person doesn't first care about who Jesus is, they're not going to care about anything that he teaches. You know, they're just not. In the, uh, in the Bible, in the book of James, we're told to remember something. It says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And not because we are so successful at covering over a multitude of sins, but because that's what Jesus did when he covered over the multitude of our sins on the cross. We cannot save a sinner from the error of their ways without pointing them to Jesus. There is a whole world out there that is dying and they don't even know it. But there is a Jesus who saves them from it. And we are the ones who have been commissioned, commanded by Jesus to go and share some very good news with them. That there's life for them. There's a Christian author whose name is Dave Simmons, and Dave Simmons has two children, Helen and Brandon, who are fully grown now. But in one of his books, he tells a story about when, when Helen was eight and Brandon was five. He, uh, he said he had taken them to the shopping mall in one of the shopping malls in Mississippi. And outside the shopping mall that day was a traveling petting zoo. 
a petting zoo that would travel around from city to city. This used to be a thing. And they would set up at shopping malls to an offer to entertain the kids for a very small fee so the parents could go and get their shopping done. So when dad saw that, he thought it sounded really great to him. The kids could be entertained and he could, and he could get his shopping done. He could, uh, he could go into Sears and look at, and look at power tools. Kind of shows you how long ago that was. Sears doesn't exist anymore. So, he, uh, so when he saw it, he tossed his kids each a quarter because that's how much the petting zoo was the last time it was in town. He sent them on their way, and then he went to, he went to Sears to look at power tools. And as he was looking at power tools, his, um, it wasn't long, a couple of minutes before Helen, his daughter, came running to him, crying, sobbing, and he said, What's wrong, dear? And, and she said, Daddy, it costs 50 cents. It costs 50 cents. And I gave my quarter to Brandon so that he could get in because the Bible says that if you love someone, you have to do something to show them. And so I gave him my money. <laughs> Sad face. And um, Dad happened to have another 50 cents in his pocket. And after he finished up looking at the power tools, they walked together toward the petting zoo. And they got to the petting zoo. They, um, they got to the fence. And they saw Brandon having just the time of his life. And do you know what Dad did then? Nothing. Nothing. He did not give her the money. And she didn't ask for it. They just sat there watching Brandon have a good time with all the animals that Helen loved so much. But he never gave her the money. Do you know why? Because love, at least the type of love that Jesus tells us to imitate, isn't really love unless it involves a sacrifice. A sacrifice. You know, this is, this is how, you will, how people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if you love one another, but of course he said, you have to love like his. And if it doesn't involve a sacrifice, then it's not really love like his, and there wouldn't be anything all that special about it, and Jesus really wouldn't be any different than anybody else in this world who tries to get you to follow him. But just look at him and tell me if there is anything special about him. Just look at his tears in the garden the night that he was betrayed sweating drops of blood because he's filled with so much anxiety and overwhelmment about what is going to happen, thinking about us and our salvation. You know, watch him grit, just picture him gritting his teeth every time another nail is pounded in, telling himself not to scream and not to stop it from happening. Watch him snack, snap his neck to the side every time the whip rips more skin off his back. And picture him hanging in agony as his muscles are fatigued and his heart is literally breaking because it is so under so much pressure from everything that's happening inside his body. And try to convince me that you have ever seen another love like his. A love that will sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice to give and to give and to give and to give. Love like Jesus involves a sacrifice. It always will. And that's what it always is. And sometimes giving that type of love is a very hard thing, especially when people don't reciprocate it, especially when people don't appreciate it, especially when people don't respond to it. But the reason Jesus did it anyway is because he wanted to give this world something to respond to. In this world that is so dark, that is so hard to love, that is so void of love so often, he wanted to give us one place where God's, the light of God's love is always shining, one place which we could always look see that love will truly overcome. And whatever you have to sacrifice 
whether it's your time, your energy, your pride, your feeling of being right, um, whatever, whatever it is that you have to sacrifice in order to show that love to someone, just know that God sees it. He understands how hard that is. And he assures you that whatever we sacrifice for others, his sacrifice for us will always be more. Whatever we give for others, he will always give more. Whatever crosses we carry to follow him, the cross that he carries will always be bigger. All to assure you that it won't get the best of you. It won't get the best of you. His love will always overcome. His love will always lead. No matter what he has to sacrifice, he will. He will. And he just might make you, or use you, to make a powerful difference in this world that so desperately needs to see him. Thanks for making it all the way to the end. I promise you a quick look at another podcast from Time of Grace that I think you'll like. It's a really fresh look at the Bible from my brother in Christ, C.L. Whiteside. But rather than listen to me again, here's a sample clip from C.L. himself. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. That was not racist. Ooh, that was so racist. You know he only got the job because he's black. Hey, low-key, he's a rapist. Uh, I didn't get the position because I identify as a she. Have you ever thought people are too comfortable just throwing this type of stuff out there and they don't care if what they're saying is accurate or true? Because boy, oh boy, I see that on social media all the time when I go in there. Social media has really helped everyone have some form of power and voice that can be heard. But it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. Because someone could do something like post on social media that they got pulled over by police. The double-edged sword is some automatically assume that that person broke the law. Well, he must have been speeding. He must have done something wrong. And they never even think like racism could have happened. Or in some cases, some don't even believe racism exists. Then you have the other group or another group of people that everything is racist. And of course it's not. And I'm not just talking about with police, but it's real. So you have one group that denies the facts, and then you have another group that makes stuff up. Now, both of these groups, they make everything so hard to trust, and they just jack and mess everything up. Join me, C.L. Whiteside, on my podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth.